This election is a choice. This election will determine whether we can come together. This election is absolutely crucial. What's really important, of course, is 12 us in a giant straight-through rifle. Please explain. You're listening to the 4ZZZ Breaks the Election podcast. Hello election watchers, welcome to the 4ZZZ Breaks the Election podcast where our newsroom breaks down what is happening in the election for April 20, 2022, just 30 days before the federal election. My name's Alexis Pink, joining us today are the 4ZZZ Newsroom. Introduce yourselves, 4ZZZ um, Newsroom. I'm Jeremy. I'm Harry. I'm Lucci. And on today's show, Pauline Hansen criticises Welcome to Country, Albanese's Coal Comfort on Climate Change, Labour targets the cashless welfare card, and the LNP has more candidate trouble in Queensland. So Lucy, tell us a little bit more about what's happening with the LNP. The LNP has quietly removed local candidate Chris Green from running for the seat of Oxley just two days before nominations for the position close. An unnamed LNP source has told the Courier-Mail that the reason behind Green's removal is due to financial decisions regarding his campaign. The LNP has replaced Green with Kyle McMillan, a veteran who currently works in Red Bank as a Veterans Diversity and Inclusion Specialist for weapons manufacturer Rheinmetall. McMillan, who failed to gain pre-selection for the seat of Lilly, will be pitted against ALP candidate Milton Dick, who has held the seat of Oxley since 2016. Very interesting start to that story. A lot of things just going wrong for the LNP there. So tell us a little bit more about what's going on. Well, the thing that uh, stood out to me the most was just how young Carl McMillan is. Um, if you looked at his LinkedIn, for instance, he still has his uh, time as McDonald's manager link- like on his LinkedIn. So um, yeah, he's pretty young. And what I think is happening right now is a little bit of candidate training. See, Oxley's has like been ALP since 1998. Huge Labour voter base there. If you put someone who is unable to be pre-selected in a more contested seat, you put him in Oxley. If he loses that election, it's it's more about how ingrained Labour is in Oxley and less on uh, Macmillan as a candidate. So it gives him experience in uh, campaigning, but also doesn't set too high of like a chance of like complete failure for the LNP. Yeah, it would be hard to imagine Milton Dick, very famous Labour person, very well entrenched in the party, suddenly losing Oxley for no good reason. Mm. And this sort of contrasts with other LNP pre-selection stories, like the pre-selection for the candidate that the LNP are running in Warringah, who's being criticised for their position on transgender issues. Not quite the same issue, though, here. Yeah, you can clearly see with Macmillan, you know, he's a veteran, so that definitely appeals to a more conservative voter base. And ties back to Ryan Mattel as well. Mm. Um, very popular amongst state government for funding. They're trying to build up a defence industry based on the work that Ryan Mattel is doing at the moment, including the new APC carriers that they're currently working on. Mm. Very interesting sort of story. Yeah, we'll have to see how it develops, I guess. Indeed we will. Let's start talking about Labor. Jeremy, what's happening with Labor at the moment? Yeah, so Labor has announced their plans to scrap the compulsory cashless welfare card if elected, and instead people on welfare will be able to opt in to be a part of the cashless debit card scheme. Uh, Labor spokesperson Linda Barney stated that the motivation behind the election promise was to give people the opportunity to manage their own finances. Now, the cashless welfare card is currently in use throughout selected regions in South Australia, Western Australia and Queensland. While the coalition remains committed to an income management scheme, it does not currently have any plans to expand the cashless welfare plan to uh, pensioners. That seems like quite a pointed comment, really. 
Mm. So what is the deal with the um, suggestion that the coalition might be trying to put shit onto pensioners? Yeah, so that started a little while ago and it all came from a supposed leak within the Liberal Party, which was then shared among Labor candidates on their Facebook pages and it sort of grew from there. It just rolled into something bigger. But there have been a few fact checks on that and that's not actually happening at all as far as we know so far. And certainly the government is suggesting that they have no specific plans, sort of fairly remnant of the Medi-Scare campaign that Labor tried to run at the last election where they suggested that the coalition were coming after certain Medicare facilities, which turned out to be a little bit true. <laughs> but um, yeah, moving on from that, the cashless welfare card itself has a quite controversial history. Can you give us a little bit more information about that? Yeah, so cashless welfare was sort of introduced as a concept around 2007 by the Howard government and was picked up and supported still by the Rudd and Gillard government. And it's sort of been rolling along quietly because it only sits among certain demographics. Little more recently in 2016, I think it was, they expanded that cashless welfare card and that started affecting more people. And now it's still within regions throughout you know, SA, WA and Queensland. People are starting to do more research on it and they're starting to find that it's just not working. Even though it's been running since 2007, it's not really improving those social aspects that they thought would, you know, actively work to reduce harm. Well, one of the big criticisms of the card is that it locks uh, welfare recipients out of the local cash economy. So you can't use services such as Facebook Marketplace where secondhand goods are often a lot cheaper and instead the card forces those welfare recipients to spend money at big retailers and whatnot. Yeah, so yes, it's very, very restrictive in that aspect. Sort of being expensive to be poor sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So let's move on to the next story. It's, it's about Anthony Albanese. So week two of the election campaign has seen the government and the opposition launch into fresh conflict over the future of clean energy in Australia. On Tuesday, Deputy Leader, uh, Deputy Labor Leader Richard Miles announced a $3.2 million commitment to make Maitland TAFE in Western Australia the state's first wind turbine training centre. The spending commitment to renewable energy came as Anthony Albanese criticised the coalition's current climate policy, saying it left Australia sitting in the naughty corner on the international stage. In a press conference this morning, the opposition leader was asked if the Labor government would sign the UN pledge to end coal use. Mr Albanese's response was blunt. The answer is definitely no. Ooh, quite, quite a lot to unpack there. Let's start with um, Labor's approach to climate change. So they've been talking a big game on climate change all the way through the election so far, but when it comes to big ticket items like coal, they've seemed to be shying away. Is there a sort of reasoning behind that? You know, coal's like our biggest energy provider at the moment, and to, you know, disregard that would be, you know, potentially alienating a large uh, potential voter base for the ALP. It's also quite uh, reminiscent of 2019 with uh, Adani Mine, how they, that was supported. Yeah, it's a bit of history repeating itself. Coal's a major, you know, export for Australia. So to um, deny that would be, you know, an issue for, for a lot of people voting uh, in this election. So 
Yesterday we had the LNP talking about technology, not taxes. And this announcement is a very technology answer, not a taxes answer. Mm. Are the ALP and LNP presenting effectively similar policies? I don't know if they're... I wouldn't say they're exactly the same. Um, I think Labor have been possibly put in a position where they don't want to fully flesh out the details of their climate policy during the election and that's in line with their small target approach um, that they've taken the past few years. I think what's interesting though is and what a lot of people want to hear is how they will transition away from coal. I think that's where they've fallen silent. How they will transition coal miners to uh, sort of jobs that are more in line with the renewable economy. It's certainly something the Greens have been talking about mm. yeah. a lot during the election. That They certainly have picked up the message from the last election where they were hammered pretty badly on transition away from carbon-intensive energy. So um, I guess we'll see how that sort of plays out, especially if it comes to a Labour-Greens coalition mm. Um, mm. government in four weeks' time. Mm. On to a little bit of election flair. Um, let's talk about One Nation... Harry, can you tell us a little bit about what what's going on with One Nation today? I'll I'll try to. Uh, One Nation leader Pauline Hanson has criticised Australia's welcome to country decision, labelling it an act of left wing virtue signalling. Hanson took to Facebook on Tuesday morning to voice her concerns, declaring she was very tired of being left out of the welcome to her own country. <laughs> the One Nation leader continued by saying the tradition is a modern invention that shoehorns politics and pandering into everyday life. The remarks were made in response to Anthony Albanese's much-publicised appearance at Byron's Bay's Bluefest on Sunday night, where the Labour leader delivered an acknowledgement of country, recognising the traditional Indigenous landowners. Oh, yep, Th this sounds like a classic <laughs> Pauline Hanson sort of thing. This starts with um, articles in 2019, where Pauline was on a Qantas flight and heard an acknowledgement to country and complained about it then. It made the papers at the time. It's a common theme in the way that she talks about Aboriginal recognition, in that she doesn't feel a part of it. Mm, yeah. It, it's hard to actually untangle this. Like, there are two parts to this. The mm. idea that Australia should be a, a nation that works together for everyone, mm. which is sort of the fundamental good idea behind these sort of statements. Mm. However, it's only ever on Pauline's terms. Mm. And I think she says these sort of really polarising things as well because, you know, she does very, you know, externally minimal work. But if you throw out these sorts of statements and it makes people feel really easy to be aligned with her or not as well. So it's sort of like, oh, I'm just going to remind everyone what I'm about now and then. It's, it's typical populist rhetoric, though, where she says um, she wants a country that we can all share together. That, that panders to... A section of Australian society. It sounds good, it sounds great, mm. but then it's actually very divisive yeah. and it's intentionally divisive and she knows that. Mm. It's like it's very similar to All Lives Matter in regards to Black yeah. Lives Matter. Let's talk about notable events that are happening soon. Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese are set to face off in their first debate at 7pm. It will be broadcast on cable television, which means it'll be behind a paywall. An interesting decision seeing the, the election is compulsory for everyone, not just mm. for people who own cable television. <laughs> um, 
a few thoughts about that. What do people think of debates in general, and more specifically about debates that are effectively inaccessible to the vast majority of people? Hmm. Well, I think debates definitely do a great uh, job at like showing you know which party, like which position they're running with. A lot of people aren't really glued in to the news, so um, you know all you need is like a soundbite from a debate to understand like a party's policy. And uh, in regards to having it like kept under a paywall, it really like um, kind of funnels in what information people are getting. Like, okay, so do you think you'll be watching the debate? <laughs> I won't be paying for the debate, but I think it is incredibly disappointing because it's also you know it goes against what the election is fundamentally about and what democracy is fundamentally about, mm. which is participation for all. And yeah, we already have a really strong filter in this country of what gets through in the media outlets and to narrow that in even more. And I think what might even be worse than people not watching the debate is either people not knowing about the debate or even more people who already aren't that engaged make it easy, even easier for them to become less engaged. And all that right. has consequences. Okay, so that's all the time we've got for today. Thank you for listening to the 4ZZZ Breaks the Election podcast. For more news, head to 4ZZZ.org.au forward slash news or listen to 4ZZZ on 102.1 FM on DAB, DAB Plus Digital Radio via the 4 or via the 4ZZZ website. If you have a tip-off or feedback about the show, please email us newsroom at 4ZZZ.org.au. 